Time now for Scoops with Danny Mac, the podcast on 101 ESPN. Scoops with Danny Mac and welcome into the show. Yeah, we did go a little long, didn't we, Ryder? But happy birthday, though, to Randy Carricker. 10-10 in St. Louis. Time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers. Doubleheader from Wrigley today, and then the Cardinals return home. And the first of four fingers crossed against the Cincinnati Reds. Okay, um, let's see. 65780-65780. That is the text line. Oh, yeah, this is a good sports book um, from Ghetto to Glory by Bob Gibson. I read that, and that is an awesome book. Awesome book. Um, If you get the chance to read that, you really should. Amazing book, by the way. Uh, Okay, let's hear from Mike Schild. This is on the media Zoom after the game last night. And Daniel Ponce de Leon, a lot of strikeouts, but yet falling behind in counts. Pitch count was up. Here is Mike Schild on his starter last night. He just has the ability to elevate and that fastball just plays up you know it's got a little invisible action and he's got the secondary pitches to match but you know he just wasn't able to repeat enough of it and a lot of deep counts and i thought he was better tonight actually uh, i appreciate the fact that he wanted to you know get his count up tonight he was we were comfortable with that clearly we're doing everything we can to maximize our pitching and he he actually said he you know he had 100 bullets in him Obviously, we didn't want him to go there, but, um, you know, he, he took the ball and got after it, and I thought he was a little better against Minnesota, and he's clear about what he needs to do to be a little more consistent. If he does that, he's got a chance to be, a, you know, well above average starter in this league. I do like what I see from uh, Daniel Ponce de Leon. A lot of strikeouts. He's done that against Minnesota, did it again last night, and in a normal season, if he stretched out, probably gives you five or six innings in that game, but this is not a normal season. I would think the Cardinals are conservative uh, with Flaherty as he goes today. They will use their seventh different starting pitcher in their last seven games. Now, Mike Schilt and company are trying to really ease their starters back into shape. That is not an easy task. Not easy at all. Wainwright, by the way, went in the first game back, and he's the only pitcher who's pitched through the fifth inning of any of these games on this road trip. And the relievers have had to carry more of the load than the starters, clearly, because the starters just aren't going deep. They're not stretched out right now. And uh, how do you manage that bullpen if you're Mike Schilt through this really tough schedule? I wouldn't, we weren't going to play for tomorrow, but I mean, you know, you look at and every game's got the benefit of coming from the previous, we just got through playing five games in three days. And, you know, we know we hadn't, everybody knows we hadn't played in 21 and then had a lot of activity in that, in those days. So, and I said at the beginning of this, and we're getting, we're getting our legs under us, you know, but, you know, just having guys go back to back or multiple innings is, uh, you know, it's it's not something we'd prefer to do right now for a lot of reasons. Obviously, um, we do understand and we're competing. I mean, you know, look, we right had a chance to sweep the game yesterday and right in the game today. So, I mean, we're still getting the competition taking place of and, you know, those guys that got it up today gave us an opportunity for tomorrow and, um, we'll, uh, we'll, we're in a lot better shape tomorrow to, to be able to go at it. So I mentioned this on the, uh, the crossover, did a little digging on all these debuts. And again, it's about winning the game. You want to see that. 
It's about, though, managing for tomorrow. It's about managing for next week. And it's about getting through the season, keeping guys healthy. Uh, Initially, 2020, you wanted to see that every game mattered, come out firing. But then you got hit once, you got hit twice. So this isn't easy. Uh, three one four. Why can't starters who only pitch one or two innings pitch again in a couple of days on their throw, uh, side throwing days? Because they haven't been throwing at all. That's why. Haven't been throwing at all. They were throwing into a mattress. Some guys were not throwing at all for two and a half, three weeks. You can't do it. Um, some notes and numbers on all these debuts. Most debuts already in 2020. The Cardinals have had 12. 12 already. They played 11 games. Cardinal debuts, 12. The rest of the Central combined have 11. Every team has debuted at least one player. So the Cardinals have debuted 12 players in 11 games. Looking this up, no team since at least 1906 has debuted more players than games through their first 11 games of any season. That's incredible, Scotty. Yeah, I mean, it's been so much fun. Like hearing you talk about these guys on the air, though, Dan, when I'm watching the games, it's so like capsulating because you're in the process of a real baseball game. You're not in spring training hearing about them. And it's just so interesting to hear the backstory of each one of these guys. I feel like it's been a big part as a viewer for me to really be intrigued when I'm watching this team. I do love the debuts. I love the backstories, as you mentioned. I love the fact that, you know, family members, it's been a long road for all these guys to get there. Um, It's unique for some of them. Some, uh, for instance, um, Ramirez, who gave up the the four home runs, unfortunately for him, and he was one rocket into a glove or one strikeout, one pitch away from getting out of that jam, and we wouldn't be talking about the history that he made, unfortunately. he had only appeared twice above, had two appearances above double A, but they were forced into a situation where they needed to get somebody up here. So we didn't know. And, uh, but you know, that's the situation we're in right now. The most debuts in the first 11 games of a season since 1906, the 2020 Cardinals, they have 12 debuts. The record for most Cardinal debuts in a single season, if you're wondering, that is all the way back in 1911. They had 19. I don't think we're going to get there, but never say never when it's 2020. The last season the Cardinals had more than 12 was in 2013, by the way. So that's not that far away, and that's a team that won the pennant. So you just never know on what may happen. So the Cardinals have Flaherty going uh, today. If Wainwright can give you five innings from the 314, why couldn't Jack Flaherty give you five innings? He's younger and stronger because Flaherty is... Uh, a kid that you got to treat with kid gloves. You're just going to be very, very careful. You're going to be very, very careful. And that's the way I approach it. Maybe I'm wrong. We'll see what happens today. Um, I walked away a little bit from last night's game, wondering why they're taking so long to play. Well, there are three outcomes right now that you're seeing in Major League Baseball. And it is something that struck me last night, too. So I did a little digging on this. Uh, last night, the Cubs, they struck out. Let me look at my book here. One, two, three, four, five, six, 14 times. Last night, the Cubs walked eight times. They homered two times. Strikeouts, walks, homers. That's what you're getting. So what you have right now are home runs, walks, strikeouts. The game took four hours and eight minutes. 
I'm not one that complains about length of games. I, I don't think we ever should complain ever again about a length of a game. However, what I do have a problem with is the action inside the four hours and the eight minutes. Got to have action. We didn't have action. And so that's something that we got to have. We got to have action in these games. And so we did not have that last night. So the outcomes, by the way, it's something close to like 40% of the time now in Major League Baseball across the board. It's either home run, walk, or strikeout. That's a problem. And baseball's got to find a way to fix that. So that's something that concerns me right now. What is the status of Tyler O'Neill? Apparently it was something with his finger. Discomfort in, a, uh, discomfort in his finger. Um, so we'll find out more today, I'm sure, as we move along. We have Blues Hockey coming up tonight on 101 ESPN. Craig Barubi asked, it's now 2-2. What do you have to do to get to the championship? To win a championship... You know, a lot of things have to go right. This this league is, uh, you know, very close. Uh, you know, uh, anybody can beat anybody uh, in a series, in my opinion. Uh, you you uh, if you get in as an eight seed, they beat out one seeds all the time. It happens all the time in this league. So, personally, you got to get some breaks in the playoffs to to win a championship. You got to get some puck luck. You know, you have to have. You know, a real solid uh, team effort, night in and night out. You have to play extremely hard. If you do, you know, in my opinion, if you don't play hard enough, you probably will not win. Um, you got to sacrifice um, as a team and as an individual, in my opinion, to win a championship. Eight thirty pregame. Alex Ferrario will have it for you. They'll drop the puck at nine thirty. The Blues and the Canucks, and that's at nine thirty. Blues Canucks game five coming up. We'll talk baseball. Brian Walton, plenty to get into. Cardinals and the Cubs doubleheader today. This is one hundred and one ESPN. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. It's a Wednesday, and as we always do, a chance to visit with Brian Walton of thecardinalnation.com. The Cardinals are back on the field. There's been tons of movement with the rosters. How does that play in the 40-man Cardinals have had a little success on the field as well. Lost last night against the Cubs. It's a doubleheader today. And let's jump right into it with Brian Walden. As always, uh, Brian, thanks for your time, and uh, good morning to you. How are things going? Hey, things are going great, Dan. I'm surprised you're able to squeeze in time to talk with me, man. Is there any, been, any time since when maybe when you were calling other sports that you do five, uh, eight games in five days? Never like this. You know, I do remember five games in three days. I think a couple of times we had it maybe even four days, but not in three days. So uh, this is uh, crunching in a lot of baseball. I I am a fan, though. I'll say this. I am a fan, and I know you cover the minor leagues big time. I'm a fan of the seven-inning doubleheader. And I got to wonder if Major League Baseball going forward, using this as a test run, is something that they're going to take a liking to in 2021 and beyond. Well, I'll tell you, there's no doubt that last night's game was tedious, and part of it was because of the two starting pitchers and their deliberate, you know, motions, but uh, moves on the mound. But still, you know, I have to admit, and a lot of folks were talking about it on the message board at the Cardinal Nation, you know, those crisp two-minute, seven, two-minute, 12 games were, were a joy to watch. I, I think, you know, you put a premium then on the fourth, the fifth, the sixth, the seventh, right? I mean, you, you, you love... Now, again, these guys, starters, for the most part, certainly with the Cardinals, are not stretched out. Across Major League Baseball, certainly some guys can get through seven innings. So it's different in a normal season. But I like the strategy of those games. I like the crispness of those games. 
I, I do think fans would welcome that, especially when you watched what happened last night. There was just no action inside a four-hour and seven-minute game, and it was it was just not a good baseball game. Yeah, the other side of the coin, of course, is the financial side, and I'm sure some beacon or somewhere is going to calculate how many fewer hot dogs and how many fewer beers are going to sell right. if the you know people are in the ballpark less than two hours, two hours less. So you know, I don't, I don't know how it'll end, but right now for the you know for us the fans watching the game, I agree that the nice crisp seven inning games are nice, and and for our Cardinals pitching staff that even Mike Schilt admitted are running on fumes, you know, two fewer innings in each game makes a big difference. So how do you think it plays into today? There is some roster pressure for the Cardinals. There's a doubleheader. They need somebody to, to step up today. You got Jack Flaherty. So let, let's start with the roster. Where's the roster pressure right now? Well, Austin Gomber, as a lot of folks know, is sort of the 11th COVID IL player, but he never tested positive. They did it based on uh, their, their contact tracing that, that he had been exposed and they were worried that he might uh, come down with the virus. He hasn't. He threw aside the St. Louis. Uh, he threw aside on Monday. I don't know if it was the St. Louis or Chicago, but I guess in Chicago. But uh, you know, the thought was maybe he would be activated for that Monday uh, doubleheader. That didn't happen. Uh, but the hope is that he'll be able to pitch that second game today behind Jack Flaherty. But even so, uh, you know, Mike Schilt has been uh, not been willing to announce his game two starter until after game one. Because let's say something happens with Flaherty in game one. You know, he might have to pitch Domber then if, if, say, Flaherty doesn't get out of the first inning for some reason. Yeah. Um, where do you see the roster pressure right now, too, with the different guys that had to throw over the weekend and the different guys that we've seen already throw in three games in two days in uh, in the north side of Chicago? Well, the, the, the good news is in this year, the Major League Baseball's rules have allowed teams to put more than 40, 40 guys on the 40-man roster. And so they've been able to shift around with a taxi squad and a 29th man for the doubleheader. So you see guys like uh, Ramirez and Chris Mad and Meisinger and Kaminsky and Cruz and Ricardo Sanchez. But these are guys in a normal season, you know, you just wouldn't see. The Cardinals have already used 24 pitchers this season in 11 games. And that compares to just 23 all last season. So, you know, you can just see that all these games in such a compressed time has cause them basically to bring guys up to the major leagues who aren't ready. And uh, you look at their pedigrees and you say that's the case and you look at the results and it, it tends to agree. And it's just unfortunate, but that's the hand that the Cardinals have been dealt with his schedule and the number of players who are on the COVID IL. Who has impressed you in these debuts? I, I love the debut of Elledge against the White Sox. Hard not to, but who else has <clears throat> impressed you with these debuts? Well, I think, I think Ellis has definitely shown that he's a keeper. Yeah, you know, he gave up a big hit yesterday, but he got out of a tough jam. He gave a couple walks, but you know, he came in with a with a run in and a guy on third base, and and you know, got out of a got out of a tough situation. So I think Seth Ellis is definitely a keeper, and he's a guy that's been on a top forty prospect list. I think Matt Schrock is a guy who's really improved his his status this year. He's a guy that could always hit for average, but had a lot of injuries last year at Memphis, and kind of you know started to fade away a bit as other infielders passed him up. But I, I think we've seen the truck play solid defense, and uh, you know even you know showed a little bit of power. So he's another guy that I think is going to stay around. John Nagowski, uh, you know, a guy with a interesting past. You know, it was, was in the Oakland system, got cut loose, had to play an independent ball. Uh, John Bush for the Cardinals found him down there and brought him up. And, and John Nagowski is another guy who I think you know can contribute. You know, Nagowski is kind of the anti twenty twenty player. You know, I was talking last night on the game. You've got the three outcomes, right? You got walk, you got strikeout, you got a home run. Well, John Nagowski is not going to strike out, doesn't hit home runs. He might walk, but the ball in play. So he's the anti-2020 player, isn't he? 
He really is. And defensively, he is an extremely solid first baseman. Now, they've tried him a little bit in the outfield, but, you know, it's it's not quite a Matt Adams situation, but comparable. You know, I think it would be an emergency where John Nagowski played, he had to play in the outfield. So he's another guy that really benefits from the, the designated hitter in 2020 because it gives the team a little more flexibility than just playing the same position that all-world player Paul Goldschmidt plays. Max Schrock, I, I'm really enjoying watching him. Now, I thought his spring was okay, Brian. I thought it was better than okay. Um, and then I look, because he's had, what, I think three major league camps this spring, um, and then you look at summer camp, I thought he was really good, and now he's getting his shot, and he's making the most of it. He's hitting. He's always hit, always hit, hasn't he, when, he, when he's been in the minor leagues? Yeah, yeah, uh, career 300 minor league hitter, and again, as I said, you know, he, he had momentum, and it kind of looked like he was going to, you know, get himself into the picture last season, and Edmundo Sosa, you know, slipped past him, as as I said, Chuck dealt with some injuries, but one of the things he did do was he, he, he's been a second baseman uh, his whole career. He also picked up third base, and so he can play that in a pinch. He's probably not a shortstop, but just the ability to play a couple of different positions increases his versatility profile. And he's a guy that I think partially because of Max Schrock's emergence, when Edmundo Sosa is in the first group with Carlos Martinez coming back from COVID, uh, the Cardinals said, hey, Edmundo, you know, go down to Springfield and play yourself into shape. And the implication is, hey, there's no hurry because we kind of got Schrock here. And, uh, you know, along with the fact that Brad Miller can be the backup shortstop behind Edmund. But, you know, the immediate need to bring Edmundo Sosa back isn't the same as it might be to try to get Carlos Martinez as active as quickly as possible. So what do you think happens when all these guys do come back? The DeYoungs, the Molinas, uh, the list goes on and on, Cody Whitley. Um, and what happens with these guys? They go to satellite camp and just start kind of doing business as usual in terms of, uh, playing in, uh, you know, the, the, the sim games and things of that nature? Well, that's an interesting question, Dan. Uh, you know, as it was laid out to us by Mo, he said there's kind of a two, a three-step process. First is they have to pass, you know, all the medical tests, uh, which are COVID tests and, uh, and the heart tests and the whole, the whole bit, just to get reinstated by Major League Baseball. Then once they're reinstated by Major League Baseball, they work out at Bush Stadium, do some individualized workouts. Then they go down to Satellite Camp in Springfield and play in some sim games and kind of work their way up. But, you know, right off the bat, Mo said, well, Carlos Martinez is probably going to be an exception. He may not go down to Springfield because, you know, hey, we need pitching. And you look at Yachty and Paul DeYoung, right? I mean, those are guys that are everyday players. They need them in the lineup. They're probably not going to spend a lot of time wasted. Not only say wasted, but spend time down in Springfield when they can probably perform at a reasonable major league level right off the bat. So, you know, I think it'll be, it'll depend on the player coming back. You know, an Austin Dean, for example, when he's ready, and he's not in that first group. But, you know, he's a guy that might go down to Springfield, uh, you know, whereas, like I said, at the young, you know, they may activate him in St. Louis, you know, sometime here during the Cincinnati series. You've been watching Dylan Carlson a long time. What have you thought of his debut so far? Well, Dylan Carlson is, uh, you know, you, you, you never see any emotion from him, right? He's an even-keeled guy. He understands what he needs to do. He's seeing some breaking pitches. He's being pitched a little differently than he, you know, was pitched in the minors. And so now the, now the game of adjustments begin, right, that we always talk about with these young players. You know, when they, when they pitch to your, your weaknesses, how do you then turn those weaknesses, uh, neutralize those weaknesses and turn them into strengths? And, you know, Carlson's uh, been having an all time bang like 143, whatever it is. But he's, you know, generally, uh, he's, you know, he's taking some pretty good at-bats. And, uh, you know, I think certainly they're going to be patient with Dylan Carlson as they need to. The, the unfortunate nature, you know, thing is that the Cardinals offense just isn't clicking. And so, you know, there's certainly some pressure. I think one of the games Schultz started him second, you know, in the batting order. You know, that's a lot of pressure on a young guy who's still trying to, to make his way 
uh, in the major leagues. And, you know, he hasn't got a home defensively. That's a positive for the team and they can move him around. But, you know, there's also some amount of, you know, unfamiliarity as you're playing in new ballparks, you know, in left field, one day center and right. And I'm not making excuses for Carlson because I think he'll be just fine over time. But, you know, it's also not surprising that he didn't, you know, come in and hit 400 the first week in the major leagues. I, I you know, I, I know fans' frustration at times with some of the moves. For instance, you know, Webb the other day coming in, um, and he's facing Bodie. He had walked Hayward in front of him, and that was the key, the walk to Hayward, and then Bodie crushes the three-run homer, and that was the difference in game two of the doubleheader. And then over the weekend, he had the young man, uh, Ramirez, gives up four home runs in a row. If you're Mike Schilt, he, he's just trying to find outs. That's what he's just trying to get through innings. And I, I don't think fans fully understand that at times is that this is not a normal season. Th- these guys had been off for 17 days. And some of these guys, you don't know what they have. Some of them are minor, minor leagues or uh, minor leaguers that hadn't been above double a for except a couple of appearances. So it's very, I, I just think he's the point I'm trying to make is he's balancing a tightrope here of trying to not only win the game, but protect his players physically and trying to get through the game and then get into a normal assemblance of what will be the major league season the rest of the way. That, that's right, Dan. And you kind of even have to back it up prior to those outings that you mentioned as examples and say, well, the first time out, you know, you're not going to have guys like Webb, the, the established major leaguers like Webb and Miller and Gant and uh, Reyes and Gallegos. You're not going to have those guys throw 30 pitches their first time out. So, you know, normally, ideally, you know, some of those other guys in the games prior to those would have pitched a couple innings rather than one. But, I mean, again, this is their first time back after a long time, and they need those guys over the long haul of the season. So, unfortunately, what we've seen, in all honesty, is the Cardinals lose a couple games on this trip into Chicago that with a full-strength roster, they probably would have won. And it's just the unfortunate nature of it. But there's only so many pitchers you have and only so many bullets they have. And... You know, as we saw, you know, last night, you know, he's he sort of ran out of guys, and so he had to get the unproven guys out there because he's got to play two more innings, got to play fourteen more innings today, and he's got to get, some, you know, find some way to cobble together enough innings. Um, where do you stand on Fernando Tatis Jr. swinging on three and zero up by seven and hitting a grand slam? I'm just curious. I I, I think it's uh, much to do about nothing, and unfortunately, you know, I get where the Rangers manager came from, and you know, he said, "Well, you know, you know, it's not the way that I was brought up, but you know, maybe it's the way it is." But you know, his own manager, Tatis's manager, Tingler, you know, didn't back up, you know, didn't stand up for his guy, and that that was uh, something that concerned me a bit in terms of Tatis himself. You know, if he ignored a sign, then, you know, shame on him. But that's something they deal with internally. As far as, you know, trying to score runs in a baseball game, I think folks need to grow up. Anybody who's concerned about that need to grow up. And, and you know, you need to pitch better. Uh, and, and that kind of stuff won't happen. So, you know, I think it's caused a lot of focus on baseball's unwritten rules. And, you know, there aren't many people out there defending them at this point in time. It seems to be something that... I, I commented on this the other day, probably one of the first topics in the history of social media where almost everybody seems to agree that this is much to do about nothing. Yeah, it's nice to talk actual baseball, too. I I kind of like that. Um, yeah, how about that, huh? <laughs> yeah, something on the field. I'll wrap it up with this. Uh, I, I'm assuming you enjoyed all the nicknames of the uh, the minor league affiliates last night on the telecast, so that's right up your alley. Um, Dan, I, I was really, really impressed, and I don't. Maybe you look this up. You'll have to. You'll have to come clean on this one. But that you knew what a sod poodle was. 
Now, my wife I is did. from Amarillo originally, so you know I, I do have a little bit of familiarity, familiarity with that. But for you to know that that was a reference to a prairie dog, I was highly impressed. I, I did. I actually follow, as you know, I'm a baseball nerd. I love it. I, I follow the minor leagues. I watch minor league baseball, have the app, watch the games, enjoy it. Love watching minor league baseball. So I want to see minor league baseball back. Obviously, we're not going to have it this year. So I'm looking forward to 2020, uh, 2021. So wh- where are the negotiations? I- I've been reading a little bit about it, that there has been some movement one way or another with major league baseball. Wh- where are we at right now with, with minor league baseball? Well, unfortunately, what's happened in, in recent days, and Baseball America has really been on top of this, uh, but – uh, they haven't sat, the two negotiating teams, Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball, haven't sat down at a table to discuss this in literally months. And Minor League Baseball has, there's been sort of a civil war that's erupted within their ranks because you sort of have the haves and the have nots. And what I mean, the haves are the full season minor league owners who realize they're going to be part of the 120 teams that continue to survive. And then you've got the have nots, which are the, are the owners of the short season teams that they know they're going to be the ones, the 40, two teams that are going to be cut. And so, you know, their motivations are very different. You know, the, the high-end owners can see that, hey, Major League Baseball is going to win this battle. One of two things is going to happen. Either Minor League Baseball will continue in a structure like it is today with a president and a group down in St. Petersburg, Florida, or Major League Baseball will just say, no, I'm not going to sign a new agreement with you, and I, Major League Baseball, will establish my own minor league administration. And, you know, some of those high-end uh, team owners realize they can see who's going to win this battle. Sure. It's just a matter of how. And they see some potential financial advantage with Major League Baseball, for example, by having a longer-term uh, operating agreement. Right now, most minor league operating agreements are only two years, so owners don't know, you know, beyond two years which organization they're going to be affiliated with. So Major League Baseball is, you know, providing some potential incentives both there and financially for some of the, the you know, current minor league owners, and they, and they seem to like that. It's interesting. Really interesting. Hey, Brian, always great stuff. What are you working on at thecardinalnation.com? Well, I spent a lot of time looking at, at rosters, not only at the guys that are currently on the rosters, and I, we're documenting, of course, all the moves that are being made, but I've also talked a little bit about some rumors about maybe expanding the 60-man pool to 75, and also looking at what happens when all the COVID players come back, which of the guys, nine guys that have been added to the roster might lose their 40-man roster spot. So lots of good stuff to read about kind of the stuff that's going on behind the scenes, as well as our daily recaps of all the games. That's Brian Walton. You hear him every Wednesday. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. Blues hockey game five coming up. We bring in Alex Ferrario. He'll have the pregame show. He'll be with us tomorrow to kind of do the recap of game five. I wanted to bring him in with the three keys to the game tonight. So let's start with it. Alex, uh, your number one key to the game tonight. What do you think as we get set for 830 tonight, game number five? Keep up the pressure on Vancouver, Dan. Do not stop what you have done in these last two hockey games. Puck pressure for check finish the check make Vancouver afraid to touch the puck they were so apprehensive at the end of game four the other night that they were making turnovers to their own players because they they didn't want to get hit so if I'm the Blues my first thing that I'm focusing in on in game five tonight is start that first period as hard as can be go 
go fast, go hard into the boards, make these guys afraid to play the next 20 minutes of hockey. How about number two? Number two is do not play with fire, Dan. You went seven for seven on your penalty kill the other night, but that is seven too many penalties to give them. This is still a very good team. This is a team that will adjust to what went wrong in their power play on uh, in game four. So if I'm the Blues, I'm a lot more disciplined with my play. I'm not getting caught with the tripping or the slashing or the hookings. I'm going to play physical, but I'm not going to play loose with the stick because I don't need to be in the penalty box. Two is too many in my eyes for penalties. Number three. Number three is do not get loose in front of Jake Allen. Jake Allen has been a key component of this postseason so far with these saves. Stopped 41, I believe, in game three and then 23 in game four. Don't play looser and think Jake Allen's fine back there. Make sure that you tighten things up on defense. Let him see some pucks. Let him get some action. But make sure that Jake Allen has that front wall in front of him so that there's only outside shots. Make sure Jake feels comfortable in net, but make sure you don't play too loose in front of him. So you got Allen going tonight again? I do. if If it's me... I'm, it's Allen's net until he loses a game. I think it's what they did with Bennington last year. I think if Bennington would have lost a couple of games in, in the playoffs, they probably would have gone to Jake Allen because Allen played well. But right now, Bennington just doesn't look the same in net. Jake Allen has won you two hockey games, so I'm going back to my guy, and I'm going to let this hot hand ride until something goes wrong. That's just the way that Craig Berube has always played his team. Have we seen the last of Tarasenko, you think? I don't think so. Craig Berube said he didn't think it was anything serious. It just was nagging him, and he went back to St. Louis. Now remember, he goes back to St. Louis. He's going to have to come back and quarantine himself for four days. I think it's the last you'll see of Tarasenko at least for this series and more than likely the first couple of games, but I wouldn't be so quick to count out Tarasenko for the postseason altogether. Finally, what do we have coming up on the pregame show tonight? Lots of good stuff. So Mike Kelly from NHL Network is going to join us. He's an analytical guy. He's going to talk about this series. He's been watching it from day one. Um, We have Jamie Rivers with us, our Riverside segment, to talk about a specific aspect of the game. We'll hear from some players and of course we'll hear from the head coach Craig Berube on his lineup decisions. Great job as always. Talk to you tomorrow. Sounds good, Danny. Ribs and BK cross it over next on 101 ESPN. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. Time to cross it over. It's Ribs and BK, and they're coming up. And we've got Blues hockey coming up later tonight as we get set for Game 5, and that will be, we hope, at 9.30. They've been dropping the puck usually by 9.00. 50 or so. <laughs> Get a little later, later all the time. No That's OT all right. tonight. That's all I ask. I ask for a Blues win and no overtime. <laughs> no overtime. Kiss of death right there. Kiss of death for sure. That's when guys say, man, this, you know, it's funny. We'll be doing the game and um, somebody literally will get slapped on our crew if they say, man, this game's flying. And before they say flying by, somebody, whack. Don't Nobody you said dare. that last no. night. Not a no. single person said that last night. It's four hours and <laughs> seven or eight minutes, something like that. I Here's, a, here's my theory. Just flew by. Here's my theory. I don't talk about length of games. I don't say this game is taking forever because I don't believe in it. Because if somebody's watching the game and I'm the guy presenting the game, it's not my... I'm, I'm then saying to you as a viewer, well, just turn it off because this game's boring. I will, think, I will say, and I do think this, that baseball's got a problem inside, though, the four hours and seven or eight minutes of trying to generate activity and action and entertainment. There wasn't a lot of activity 
entertainment, action, whatever you want to call 26 it. 26 strikeouts, 13 walks, and yeah. 20 runners left on base. So yeah. here's my thing, and I've asked this question before, and people look at me sideways when I ask it, and they're like, you know, sure, a hockey player wants to speed the game up. Okay, so I'm not... There's for- a lot of speed, though, in that game okay. <laughs> in hockey, Jamie. I understand that, okay. but I'm trying to be reasonable. And I'm not asking for a clock for you know the pitch clock so to keep the guy going. I'm not, I think you got to have it, but I'm go not ahead. even asking for that, Dan. Okay. okay, all I'm asking for is that the pitcher, in a reasonable amount of time, catches the ball, readjusts things, takes a look, gets set, and throws. And the batter has to keep one foot in the box at all times, right? Supposed to. Supposed to, but they don't. Right. You know they don't. They're not allowed to readjust their glove 17 times. <laughs> the only equipment they can adjust is if a ball went off their shin guard and they got to re- Enough of the 10 million swings and setting up and all these things. No, stay in the box. The pitcher is reasonable. He throws the ball. You swing, do your thing, and then that. I think that right there, that'll keep me interested. Yeah, a couple years ago, remember they had the rule that you were supposed to stay in the box, and then you got a letter from the commissioner's office, and then if you got another letter, you know, you got fined. The problem with that, in my understanding was, and I don't know the exact number you were fined, but you had guys who were making literally, you know, $18 million and there was a fine for 200 bucks, you know, yeah, they so have the to guys come a like, little bit higher and harder with that one. Right? So to me, what has to happen is that if you step out of the box, it's strike two, yep. or if you're the pitcher, it's ball, ball two, you know, you, you got to hit them where it hurts. I like that. You know, it's got to be in the, in, in the field of competition. Like That's that. where it's got to happen. Not monetarily. Yeah, it affects you a little bit, you know, if you're making the minimum, which still is a lot of money, relatively speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's got to be in the competition of the sport. Um, that's what I would do. Now, they have done that in, like, Arizona Fall League. They've done some testing with things down in the minor league games. But definitely in Arizona Fall League is where they try some of those things, like pitch clocks and things of that nature. They were going to do some of that stuff in spring training. Um, but yeah, there's just got to be more emphasis on putting the ball in play and trying to speed up the game. And that's the thing, Dan. It's not just it's not just speeding things up because that is important. But yeah. I, I do agree with what you said. With it's also getting the ball in play. Yeah, there's no action in these games when you're having walks and you're having strikeouts. The ball is never in play. There's nothing interesting about a dude taking a ball for. There's nothing interesting unless it's just a guy shoving about a guy getting struck out every third at bat. Like right. that's. That's not interesting for so, people. The, right now, guys, there's three outcomes that are happening essentially in the sport, which is, I don't know if you heard me talking about it, but it's a home run, a walk, or a strikeout, and it's happening roughly close to 40% of the time in the game across the board in Major League Baseball. So I think part of it is the fact that we had the, the shutdown and you know um, you didn't have a, a long time to prepare, but that was kind of trending that way anyway. So it's something that Major League Baseball is is got to, to be looking at. So... There's ways maybe to correct it. I don't know, but they've they've got to be doing studies to look at it. So I'm sure that's something we'll talk about at 1130. On the plus side, you've got two seven-inning games to call today, I which I have absolutely enjoyed the hell out of them. I think the um, – the, and I guess, should I save this for 1130? Let's or do it. Okay, we'll save it for 1130. Yeah, what else do you guys, all right, what else do you guys have coming up? Well, we've got you at 1130. We've got Chris Kerber coming up at 1215. And I want to talk with Jamie about the Ryan O'Reilly line. I know we've done a lot of praise for that line, but with Tarasenko out for the foreseeable future, it becomes that much more important that they continue the level of play that we've seen thus far. So we'll get into that coming up. Here Hold on. Can bit. I ask you guys one quick question? Mm-hmm. Did, did you have the, uh, 
what'd you call him? The Nog Father? The Nog Father. Yeah, you had him on? He we was had him on. He, he was, was incredible. You know what, Dan? You can find it at the 101 ESPN <laughs> app. Go to the uh, On Demand <laughs> podcasts. You can pull it up. It's right there. You got me on that one. Good, good call, Ribs. Thanks. I look like a total idiot. I work here. Thanks. Uh, you know what, though? You were right. He was amazing, and good he dude. was like so honest and yeah. energetic. He was great. Great. Great stuff. Looking forward to it. Scotty, great job, and uh, we'll talk to you guys at 1130 on 101 ESPN. You have been listening to the TV voice of the St. Louis Cardinals, Scoops with Danny Mac on 101 ESPN.